Hey everyone, welcome to Hardcore Football, an intense look at the world's game from two passionate Americans. I'm your host, Phil Baki, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mika Burrell. Mika, um, pretty chill weekend overall. Uh, like, Yeah, nothing nothing too much happened. Not really all that interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, kind of weird that we picked, you know, tonight to record, because there's, like, hardly anything to talk about, so... <laughs> Yeah, it's like where do you even start? Um, just a total toss up. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think we were joking in the in the group chat about the fact that uh, between between us and then obviously like with our seriously loco extended crew as well, uh, Christian and Wolves beating Tottenham, like the crew ate good this weekend. The crew ate good. Three out of four ate good. And then Austin, our resident Manchester United fan, like came out of the ether to be like, pause. What are you talking about? It was awful. <laughs> Down horrendous. <laughs> uh, sorry, Austin. Um, but no, it was three out of four eating good in the neighborhood this weekend. Um, and we'll get on, obviously, to Liverpool 7, Manchester United nil, and uh, Arsenal 3 to Bournemouth. Um, but in the meantime, uh, just some brief admin to get out of the way. If you are finding the podcast for the first time, um, you can find us on any major pa- podcast platform. And uh, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at HXC Football. Although, you know, with the way things are going at Twitter nowadays, who knows? Like images, links not working randomly throughout the day so uh and and we're being impersonated by someone with like nine <laughs> followers someone so. is stealing our our ip um it's, so i'm like i'm reporting it and i'm like is this even doing anything i doubt it <laughs> this is but going anyway. to a computer that's no longer manned at twitter <laughs> <laughs> it's just a computer that's collecting reports right. um yeah i uh no i i think uh you know who knows we'll see but <laughs> i was i was like oh yeah our our green logo like i got a little nostalgic for for our green logo that someone stole <laughs> i don't know i guess we need to watermark it or something but um but yeah i mean obviously a lot to talk about uh mika the the two big results um in the premier league from our clubs plus like we'll talk a little bit about um, just how the table shook out after this weekend and some of the big results at both ends. Um, we'll talk Bundesliga, where there is a title race on. I think it is safe to say um, Bayern and Dortmund level on points. Um, and so we'll talk about the results in Germany as well. Um, we'll talk about La Liga, uh, Serie A, and Ligue 1 briefly. And we'll have a little discussion on underrated players um, at the end, just as a little treat, little preview from our listener questions. Um, and I will start by saying thanks to everyone who sent questions in. If you are looking to get involved, you're listening to this and you're like, how do I send in questions? Really just keep an eye out for when we uh, are sending out our episode tweet or episode little Instagram story. Um, and wherever you follow us, you can just hit us with a DM or or add us, um, and we'll we'll likely throw your question into the mix. Um, Mika, I mean, there's really only one place to start. We're we're gonna start in the Premier League. Um, 
And I mean, Liverpool seven, Manchester United nil. As a as a neutral watching this, obviously, like you know, the cliche going around is like, oh, this is so, this is crazy, this is unexpected. Like, who who could foresee something like this? Um, as you watch a game like this unfold as a neutral, like what what do you feel? Uh, I mean, yeah, it was it was unbelievable, but also not in a. <laughs> kind of weird way because uh, Manchester United have not been shy towards ridiculous results like this this <laughs> season um, and I'm sure that we'll elaborate on that as we go but um, I mean as a neutral it was supremely entertaining, supremely funny um, <laughs> I, I'm sorry to say, I mean I'm an Arsenal fan I have no love lost for Manchester United and it, it's it's fixtures like these where you really realize how hated they are because <laughs> it was absolutely brutal on social media like it still is right now like the memes are out of control just like wild behavior all over the shop <laughs> i mean you know a club as massive as they are with as much pain as they've inflicted on others i mean the schadenfreude is just like dialed up to 10 when things like this happen to manchester united so as a neutral like all of it is is funny and just intriguing and you know yeah from a fan's perspective it's just so funny to me but of course we'll, we'll analyze it tonight uh, in deeper detail and I think there's a lot here really to talk about actually it it was I mean I think the the cliche going around in terms of like all the analysis and different you know different podcasts having their say all that stuff is that like the story of this game is really for 45 minutes it was a it was a contest and then for another 45 minutes it was an execution like <laughs> <laughs> it, it really they there was there was a fight um at the start and then it just the the fight went out so I guess like in watching this one from broad terms like in in between like the second the first and second halves like what contributed to what felt like a, a finely poised match turning into such a bloodbath? Um, United, I mean, they, they had good chances in the first half, I think, until maybe really right up until Cody Gakpo's opener. They were on top chance-wise, I would say. I think Liverpool definitely dominated the ball, and the stats will show that. But um, they were not clinical enough. Uh, Marcus Rashford, he's got, I think, 25 goals this season uh, in all comps at mm -hmm. this point, and um, he's just been on a ridiculous tear. He really couldn't get anything going. Um, Bruno Fernandez, like, he, he's a storyline in and of himself. Like, he couldn't get anything going either. Veghorst, like, typically he is that, like, pivot up front to let other p people play off him, but he was playing in a position that I really didn't understand. Actually, the the setup in general, I didn't really understand from, from Erica Ten Hag, to be fair. So um, I think, yeah, just a combination of not taking the chances that they did have and maybe having players in unfamiliar roles or positions or even just spaces on the pitch um, that, yeah, that they just couldn't get anything going in the way that they have been recently. And, and I think, too, the recent form is also informative because if you look at 
you know, the metrics and, and the underlying numbers and what have you. I mean, United have been overperforming a little bit, and I think maybe a regression to the mean was was always on the cards, but this is not like this. Regression to, to the meme. Regression to the meme. <laughs> I did say mean, uh, to be fair, but because uh, we don't want to make this like completely unbearable for United fans to listen to. But um, yeah, I think I think they were obviously going to humble themselves a little bit. But seven, no, I don't think anyone saw that coming. I think that's absolutely crazy. Um, and yeah. you know, the second half obviously is a completely different story, like you said. Yeah. Before before we get on to Liverpool, because I do want to obviously like. I think there's a I think there's like a reflex in games like this to focus on the team that's been beat and and really just be negative um yeah. about the fact like how have they allowed this, you know, a lot of ex pros um going on <laughs> just going going on about, you know, you're in a, a Manchester United shirt, like this is against Liverpool, like this like you have a duty that sort of stuff. So I think it could be easy to go that way. The interesting thing, you you mentioned the team selection or the team setup, I should say. Eric Ten Hag selects the exact same 11 players f- that started the Carabao Cup final against Newcastle and plays none of the front six. So everybody from midfield forward in the same position that he that they did in the final. Like, to me, it feels like a uh, maybe a case of Eric Ten Hag like, trying to be a little too clever. Yeah, um, it's they they call him Baldy in Manchester, <laughs> and I'm starting to think it's a, uh, an homage to Pep Guardiola, maybe <laughs> with this <laughs> this seeming overthinking. I'm only half kidding, obviously, but um, yeah, the the positions that some of these players were were in really, I didn't get it. I mean, if you're gonna start the same eleven and reward them for having just brought home the first piece of silverware in X number of years for Manchester United, fine. Play them where they play best. Yeah. It, there's no... I didn't see any, like, reason or logic to not having Bruno Fernandes, like, right through the middle where he can just, you know, have be that free creative force as well as a threat from the edge of the area. I didn't see the reason why Veghorst was not more centrally located among all the other attackers, like, to, mm-hmm. to be that, like, backboard, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um... And then, you know, with Sancho, it really didn't get the best out of him. Anthony, like, you kind of can't move him off the right wing because that's literally the only place where he will threaten from. And he did the same thing where he cut inside onto his left. And, and he did have one good shot. It that, almost that worked once. <laughs> yeah, but, it, you know, I'm still not convinced that that was the best use of 100 million euros. Um, so, yeah, that, that did not make much yeah. sense to me at all. I mean, Eric Ten Hag, I, I'm sure he's maybe talked with Anthony about playing in another position, but I'm pretty sure no matter how you line the team line the team up, Anthony would go stand on the right flank anyways. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> you could play him on the left, play him through the middle, whatever. He would just go stand out there. Like you could give him whatever <laughs> instruction you want. He's like, this is where I'm going. So whatever you guys want to do, this is where I'll be. Like for the entire match regardless of circumstance um regardless of what's happening around me i will be standing over here um so so before we get to down on united because obviously there there is like more to unpack about united's performance but it was like kind of a strange selection um but on the liverpool side talking talking through i mean one of the players that 
that has, I mean, he's had this weird introduction at Liverpool where he's come into the team at a strange time in January where they were struggling. He's having to find his feet in this like team that's not in the best form um, because of the injuries to Luis Diaz and Diogo Jota. He's just straight into the team. Cody Gakpo um, has started to show signs of of coming along and, and being, you know, he scored a, a couple of goals in in the games um, prior. He scored in the in the derby against Everton. He scored in um, the game against Wolves, I think, if I'm remembering right. Newcastle, Anyways, no? or Newcastle, that's the one. So got a couple of goals under his belt, comes into this one, and and this really did start to feel like Cody Gakpo is is not just finding his feet, but is is really finding his stride now in uh, in this Liverpool side and scores a couple of really, really good goals. Yeah, brace. One of three braces at Anfield the other night. Um, you know, his performance and, and the positions that he was taking up reminded me of the conversation that we had with Andrew Thompson one or two podcasts ago where... Yeah you guys kind of debated what his future looks like and you were pretty adamant like this is the Bobby replacement and and Andrew Thompson said I I see him more on the wing and um I think he's shown what he can do from either position in this this game alone yeah but you know from that starting position of of the middle ostensibly uh I think he announced himself as the new Roberto Firmino um not exactly the same player but just in the the role that he had in this in this game uh, and in the same week that Roberto Firmino has announced that he's moving on from Liverpool, I mean, there's some synchronicity there uh, yeah. if we want to get deep about it. But um, I loved the way that Cody Gakpo was used in this game and how he approached things. I, I mean, that that 6-3 frame in the middle of the park, drawing folks out, confusing folks at the same time, having being able to body people off the ball and away from it and, and lay it off. Uh, I love that. I think he looks very natural doing that. At the same time, pulling out wide for that first goal, uh, where you know he and Andrew Robertson had that understanding to to play him through and and finish really really well on the right foot. Um, he's he's a good player, a really good player, and I think we always knew that he would be. Um, and and like you said, it's just been a tough kind of introduction to life at at Anfield, given you know the wobbly form of the team but he'll be better for it um and yeah he was he was very very good yeah it's it's funny i i do see him as like a bobby replacement in that way and obviously in this game he does play that role very well and after the first goal and then i mean even with the second it it almost felt like he was more akin to Sadio Mane when Firmino was out out of the team with injury and Mane like deputized in that false nine spot not because he plays exactly like Sadio or anything like that but because he's got that dynamic movement and he has the presence to back someone down he's he can hold the ball up he can turn people he can play other people into the into the game um, so I do think 
uh, I do think it's it's interesting because he almost exhibits characteristics of of both players in some mm-hmm. ways. And the goal from the wing, it just felt so decisive in a very in a very Sadio way, like coming in from the left and and whipping it into that far corner. Um, but the this his second um, and the and the third for Liverpool, um, that's just a ridiculous goal. Um, one because he receives the ball on the edge of Liverpool's area, dribbles into midfield, holds off Anthony, who is trying to foul him like desperately, um, and then lays it off to Mo Salah. And as the camera is following, and rightly so, following Mo Salah doing doing bits on the on the wing and turning Lissandro Martinez inside out, Gakpo's continued <laughs> his run, yeah, and ends the move you know at at the byline basically uh chipping David De Gea um from a very narrow angle like not an easy finish whatsoever um and uh and getting his just rewards in front of the cop I think that sort of that sort of goal is something that we haven't seen from this new attacking you know attacking trio I guess you would say um with Nunez and and Gakpo now like integrated in and uh seeing a goal like that that felt like a vintage you know Klopp Liverpool counter-attacking goal um with the level of quality with the hard work that sets it up um it really did start to feel like like you said like he's announcing himself um as a part of that setup um another player who I wanted to mention, who I think has a really, really good game um, and doesn't find himself on the score sheet, except, you know, he does set up a couple of goals, I think, um, was Harvey Elliott, um, who in midfield, obviously there's been tons of conversation around Fabinho's, you know, his like sharp decline, which Fabinho was actually excellent in this game. I thought uh, Jordan Henderson, similarly, like, lot of discussion about how he's declined he was better but Harvey Elliott is one where he's always felt like a little bit of a luxury at times in Liverpool's midfield where he isn't as uh good of a presser as like other players in midfield he isn't uh maybe the defensive like workhorse that that you'd expect in a club you know thinking back to like the likes of Gini Wijnaldum like that sort of approach this match Harvey Elliott really set out looked like he was on a mission to like just go win just go win your duels like whatever situation you're find you find yourself in just go beat the man you're up against um and consistently all night like Elliott looked absolutely like not out of place against you know Brazil's double pivot <laughs> in Manchester United's <laughs> midfield yeah, the kid has been asked to do a lot this season, and I think we've spoken about that in the past too. Is like the the fact that Harvey Elliott, Stefan Bysetic, like to a certain extent Curtis Jones, but maybe less so, have been forced to like carry the mantle in midfield is kind of like a baptism by fire for for Liverpool midfielders at this this level. And the nineteen year old was just absolutely outstanding. Um, I mean, 82% accurate passes. He has the assists, like you said. Um, won most of his 
his tackles, 10 recoveries. Like, this is not something that you really think of when you think of Harvey Elliott. Yeah. At least I don't. Um, And, yeah, he was just really, really good, played well beyond his years. And, um, I mean, what a player. 19 years old. It's ridiculous. And then you have Bicetich coming off the bench. Like, <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe there's – Maybe there's a method to the madness of like blooding these youngsters the way that they have. I still, I still am convinced that it's like out of necessity because Liverpool's midfield is still needing some milk. Um, yeah. But, but still, you got to give credit where it's due. And I thought, yeah, I thought the the kid was was really really good. Yeah, important not to not to uh, get lost in the seven nil of like the. <laughs> The surgery that Liverpool needs is maybe not as extensive as first thought, but mm. they still do need it. Like the investment in the summer does still need to come, especially in For midfield. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah, and probably, probably center back as well. Um, with not not though because <laughs> not though because of the starting pairing in this game, which I think. Seeing Virgil van Dijk with Ibu Kanate next to him, it felt a lot more like how you'd expect uh, Liverpool's backline to play. And in particular, Virgil van Dijk, who struggled with injury. He's played, I think the stat is more, he played more minutes of football than anybody in Europe's mm. top five leagues. Um Oh, like leading up to the World Cup, like going into the World Cup, he had played more minutes in that calendar year than anybody. Um, and that was with like an injury prior to that. Um, yeah. So he gets a little knock a few weeks ago and is forced basically to take a rest <laughs> and comes back looking, <laughs> comes back looking like his old self um in many ways um able to chase down able to to really like put people under pressure and in a season where he's had a a rough go along with most of Liverpool's team it looked more like not maybe not back to business as usual but definitely a lot closer than than what we've seen most of this year yeah i think that's fair i mean there's there's this i think discussion that maybe there's um an aura lost for Virgil van Dyke because he used to just feel so imperious. Um, and I mean, I think there's certainly something to be said about an improvement in the back line. This is Liverpool's fifth straight clean sheet in the league. Yeah. Um, you know, and come up against some pretty good sides in that time, or at least sides that can hurt you. Maybe not sides that, that should be beating you or anything, but, um, yeah, I, I it, and it gives me, it gives me vibes of like just going back to the basics and like doing doing the basics well i think too and maybe the maybe there's stats that that would disprove this but it does feel like there's more not caution but like just an awareness of like how high the line should be i think it's been a little more conservative um but without completely abandoning it necessarily because it helps when you have ibo kanate who's got like bags of pace yeah uh, especially for a center back so um and then alexander arnold robertson just like completely running it back like i thought robertson in particular was fantastic like yeah. just outstanding obviously the assist for 
for Cody Agpo was was amazing, but like he everything seemed to be going through him mm-hmm. <laughs> and in one way or another. And um yeah, and usually you'd think that's that's more Trent's remit, but um yeah, Andy Robertson was very, very good. Um I hope that he's not actually like seriously injured from that pitch invader. Yeah. Um that was a really weird moment in the game. That was Could strange. Have really taken the shine off, you know, a, a momentous occasion at Anfield, but um yeah he was he was fantastic yeah it's interesting i saw i saw a a little tactical breakdown on tifo earlier about how eric ten hog sets up his kind of man marking um system and the idea of how united are without the ball is Mm. they do leave a spare man always and they part of like the reason that they do it is because it does allow you to press like everybody at once basically but there is one person that's always going to be free and they often make the choice to make it a fullback which i think in playing liverpool is like a dire error like i think that is a tactical (laughs) mistake because the the person you should leave free is someone like fabinho or like or henderson Henderson, maybe where it's like they're not gonna they're not gonna like play like a raking pass that takes your whole team out of the game right like like they may turn on the ball and look for something like relatively simple they may get something started but Robertson is gonna run at you he's gonna like he's gonna eat that space up which he did you know in in that opening goal like he gets the ball and finds himself with space and an easy route like infield so he just like mm. takes the ball towards towards the midfield and then as because he's the spare man everyone is moving to find a new marker and it's at that moment that he finds the pass to Gakpo that like finds him in behind so it's funny that it in the moment it looks like just this kind of like brilliant move from Robertson which it is it's a great pass it's a it's an unbelievable like use of the space but it does come down to like this was a tactic this was like the tactical like uh like gap in the armor for Ten Hag and like Robertson is able to exploit it basically to perfection. Um, but yeah, really interesting, interesting stuff. Uh, but amidst all that, it's like, so Gakpo, two goals, Darwin Nunez, two goals, which did feel, uh, like good as a Liverpool fan for a couple of reasons. The first being, uh, the fact that Gakpo and Nunez have both kind of come in for some stick, you know, like from, especially from rival fans, like over the last couple of months saying like, Oh, look like they're not good enough. Nunez in particular, just like getting raked over the coals. He's back into goal scoring form. Even if it was just like, Hey, be tall and stand in front of the goal. Um, (laughs) and I'll just ping one off your, off your head. Um, off the man bun. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) but Nunez back in the goals, and then, um, very importantly, I think, and in this moment, important in this in a historic sense, Mo Salah, two goals, um, which tied and then broke Robbie Fowler's record for most most goals by a Liverpool player in the Premier League with 129. Now Salah stands alone at the top of that. So, um, I mean, Mo Salah, obviously, you know, I don't think anyone is underrating Salah's contributions uh in a Liverpool shirt but 
the fact that in six seasons he's scored 129 league goals is uh, I mean nothing short of insane well especially when most people did not see this coming after leaving Roma right he wasn't like a machine by any means in Serie A but he's just been absolutely taken to the highest levels and it was actually his first goal and Liverpool's fourth that I was like oh this is like a route route (laughs) (laughs) oh this is getting real bad (laughs) yeah like this is gonna like they're not nearly done um and that's in the 66th minute looks like because the ball is like pinging around awkwardly like no United can't clear it yeah um and then I think it's Scott McTominay tries to and it comes off him and just falls so nicely for Salah right there on the edge of the area and he smashes it and bar down which I love those kind of finishes um, it's the best and like that one was worthy of taking the shirt off like yeah. the second one was nice <laughs> but like that one was when I was like oh like this is real bad like, yeah and it's gonna get worse um because it just was at that point and something something had broken in United I think um yeah. earlier than that but definitely by that point and uh three more in succession so well, I think we can go on to United. Well, I guess in in finishing up with Liverpool, it this result is big in the sense that they they needed a win against United. I think just to mentally continue this run, um, mm. and they also needed a win over Manchester United because for from a practical standpoint, they are fully in the thick of the race for the top four now. Um, which I mean, after that loss to Wolves, I would have, <laughs> I would have absolutely bet against Liverpool getting into the back into the race for top four. Um, but since then they've been they've been flying and uh, and so they're three points off Spurs with a game in hand, um, for that fourth spot. So important, important victory. I think like everyone's kind of cliche thing is you know, oh, are they gonna you know. I don't think Klopp will be getting carried away with this. And it's like, no, I I really don't think so. You know, I think, like, it is what it is. At the end of the day, I do think, though, this is a big confidence boost for the players that scored and for it to be Gakpo, Nunez, and Mo Salah and a nice little, a nice little addition, too, from, from Bobby Firmino. I think the, the confidence from that and doing it against Manchester United, I do think there is there is more to it than just, you know, it just being three points. Similarly, on the United side, there's been a lot of talk of, you know, hey, like, it's a freak result. We just got to move on. Got to, like, you know, it's... Uh, at the end of the day, it is just three points. Um, but... There's been a lot of questions about mentality, um, and I think those naturally sort of follow from a 7-0 loss. And we got a question from Eric Eric Bauer at ebow27 on Twitter about Bruno Fernandes specifically. Should Bruno be stripped of his captaincy for Man U? The petulance and diving was just embarrassing, and it's not an uncommon thing for him. I'd be ashamed and embarrassed if he was the captain of a club I supported. No wonder they were so me- mentally fragile with a captain like that. I mean, sheesh. Not holding back. 
<laughs> I think Eric may be a Liverpool fan, though. He, <laughs> he certainly is. But there, he's not alone in questioning in questioning Fernandez um, or Fernanche, I should say. I'm 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 like mispronouncing mm. his name. But Bruno has been questioned in the in the aftermath of this and for some of the things that went on in the game. I guess like to distill down Eric's question a little bit, like do Manchester United have a mentality issue that is holding them back from being a truly elite side? And is Bruno part of that? Like if, if so, you know, is Bruno the guy that should be the captain in this Ten Hag era where, you know, United are striving to be back amongst the biggest teams, you know, competing on all fronts? Yeah, I, I do. I do think that there's a mental fragility to United in situations um, because on their day, they can look like world beaters. Yeah. Um, and they've got <laughs> elite players, to be fair. But when things don't go their way, it devolves quickly. Um, I mean, Brentford 4-0. They had four yellow cards in that game. Um, Manchester United 6-3 three yellow cards in that game Liverpool 7-0 three yellow cards in this game you know they start kicking folks yeah. they start sliding in and, and trying to leave one on someone Luke Shaw shocking performance after a pretty great run for him to be honest I mean he's a lock in FPL I'll just say that but um, <laughs> he cost me this week um, you know kind of kicking out at was it Gakpo on the ground uh, Nunez or Nunez yeah whoever yeah um, you know, things like that where they start to just try to inject some violence into the game. And I mean, Bruno Fernandes, like, grabbing a referee. Yeah. Are we gonna, is there going to be an inquest about this? Because that's just objectively not on. Like, you don't do that. So um, people deserve <laughs> to be safe at their work. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's just insane. Um, and yeah, so I think, I think Eric Ten Hag's done a lot of good work to change the mood, to change expectations at Carrington. Um, and he's done, he's, I mean, he won the Ronaldo debate. I mean, he's dropped Rashford without much fanfare. So I, I think he can continue to get his hands around this team. But I do wonder if in the summer there should be like a, maybe an unpopular sale or two to really just clear this out. Um, and Bruno Fernandes, he, he is a saleable asset. I'll say that. Um, but I don't know if they should or not. I, I, but yeah, this was just a game where he was certainly like the lightning rod for all that criticism. He, he embodied everything that was wrong with their approach to the second half. Yeah. I, it's really, it's really interesting because I think there's two things that get kind of glossed over just because of the scoreline. The first is that like United were playing right on the edge really from, like the first whistle in terms of like the physicality. And I mean, there's like the forearm. I mean, Sandra Martinez should have been off. The but, forearm okay. to the face, like of Mo Salah, which is, isn't given at all. Like there's nothing given. Be a yellow at least. Definitely at least a yellow. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, the, 
really the putting the hands on on the assistant referee like i really can't believe that there was an action taken in the moment and i really really can't believe that actually <laughs> the fa announced that bruno Fernandes will not face any action after an incident following the referee's assistant um during yesterday's game and i just wrote <laughs> i treat i tweeted lmfao duh half the pgmol was in the away end yesterday um like (laughs) 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 um ouch so anyways the uh no so i think things that get glossed over is the fact that like there were a, a handful of like borderline incidents that could have made this more and more embarrassing for united because it could have been genuinely like getting thrashed players sent off like um which on a different day like i think martinez is lucky i think mctominay is extremely lucky um to not be sent off for his challenge on Gakpo, where he wins the ball and then decides to take the man like of his (laughs) own accord um or increasingly because he's raising his boot as he's he's won the ball and now he's raising his boot like into the player on like on purpose so i don't know how he survived that luckily he did because the ball bounces off of him for salah's fourth like right after that challenge (laughs) um or salah's salah to score the fourth i should say but the interesting thing about the mentality is when you look across the united team like there are a lot of i guess you would say like un um tested i don't know if untested is the right word but they they do have people who aren't really like forged in that like you know they haven't been in big finals they haven't been in like in these huge moments but you have a couple of personalities in the side like varan casemiro who were part of like the coldest real madrid sides who never like they they never they always played on the edge but they never boiled over right like they always played right on the edge and they always they always maintained the upper hand and the other team was the one getting you know yeah. triggered i guess like the, <laughs> <laughs> the other team was the one like reacting Truly. to madrid and so, so i can't tell i can't tell if it's varan and casemiro being like wait what the fuck is happening this isn't how it works like the other team does this shit um or the other team gets caught doing this shit i don't know like i it it really is just like a strange one for me because you think like these guys are serial winners and everybody is pointing to fernand because yeah he's the captain but it's like you have these guys who are like they've literally been in every you know they've done everything in football um Varane's won a world cup like you know there's there's like all these like four or five champions leagues i can't even remember at this yeah. yeah so it just seems like i don't know it seems like someone else would be capable of speaking up and like keeping the standards um you know because that's what all the ex-pros say is like oh like they just and even ten hog in the aftermath of the game said you know we gave up on each other um which is like and he talked about it being unprofessional and how he was angry about how it went. And so all that being said, it's like there are other personalities in this United team that should also be t- 
take you know standing up and like being held accountable um so it it was interesting that it was allowed to get like so out of hand um but there are a couple of ex-pros too who are like oh you know at that point like you should be physical you should like let the fans know that you care and it's like they were already doing that and it wasn't working um so and and really i think the thing that that is getting Fernand's like so criticized is that last moment where Bacetic goes right by him and he half-heartedly tries to kick him like he doesn't try to win the ball he just tries to kick him Bacetic goes by him and he just kind of stands there and then like throws his arms up um yeah and that moment like really has encapsulated or become like the you know the gif that um that people are showing like look like there's a mentality problem at united but it does feel like with them being prone to these collapses it it they are still a couple of steps from being at that table of the elite teams who are going to compete for like major sil- silverware over the next few years yeah no i think that's right and i and i will say I do have a lot of time though for Eric Ten Hag and his honesty um, when yeah. things like this happen because I mean there's definitely been like a less uh, forthcoming approach to like analyzing these kind of freak results from past United coaches I think and so um, I still do I, I do think that they will learn from this and he'll make sure of it Yeah, um, just as he did when they got shellacked by Brentford so yeah, and that's what I think the bright spot for United fans is they do, you know, I think increasingly everyone is convinced that they have the right manager. Um, and like you said, I think it'll take some, <laughs> the unpopular sales um, will be mm. will be the next step for this United side becoming what it needs to. Because clearly, like, he's got, talented players he's got people who will like go out and win games but the question now is like will that team stick to his guidance even when shit goes wrong like will they stick together um and unfortunately on sunday for united fans the answer was resoundly no um i will say it is it ties united's worst ever defeat um in club history seven nil is the most um they have been beat seven nil three times the last time it was wolves beating manchester united seven nil in 1931 wow so a 92 year gap between seven nils um so yeah history happened on sunday at anfield Wow. Well, we'll see what this does for both teams' trajectories. I think that'll be very interesting. The the teams who are competing right at the top of the league um, for for the league this year, Arsenal taking on a Bournemouth side that not the easy pickings that they were when they were on the end of a 9-0 <laughs> against Liverpool. Um gave gave Arsenal a bit of a fight despite the the stats being totally one-sided and Arsenal dominating in basically every category it looked like 
Arteta's men were up against it, but Mika, a another late, late winner for the Gunners. Um, and uh, yeah, 90 plus seven, Reese Nelson pulls it out of the fire and Arsenal get the three points against the Cherries. Yeah, 3-2 after being down 2-0. Amazing, amazing comeback from this Arsenal side. Just so much spirit, so much heart, and so much faith in the way that they play. Um, I mean, yes, more crosses were being slung into the box, but it was still methodical. It wasn't just like hoof ball, you know, like hoof and pray. I think they, they stuck to the task at hand. And um, yeah, I mean, Bournemouth... Bournemouth were tough. I mean, they were defending within an inch of their lives. And I guess that's one of those, it's one of those cliches of like scoring too early, right? Because they scored in 10 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> we should have just lost the coin toss and none of this would have happened. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, second fastest goal in Premier League history. So more history being made this weekend. Um, and pretty much everything goes right for them for that, the Solanke uh, opener. Uh, and then, you know, their second goal is just really poor marking by, by Thomas Partey on, on a corner, um, which maybe is something for Arsenal to think about. It seems like there's been more set-piece goals against sure. lately uh, for the Gunners. But after that, I mean, Partey, Thomas Partey immediately, almost immediately, uh, redeems himself with the goal uh, <laughs> that was headed towards him by uh, Emil Smith-Rowe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, it was it was just... They just kept pounding and pounding and pounding on the door until it broke. Um, and um, Partey with the pre-assist, actually, for the second goal for Ben White. Ben White's first goal um, for for Arsenal in his career. Um, I was nervous that it actually hadn't crossed the line, but very clearly it did. And, yeah. <laughs> and uh, when, he, when that goal went in, I was like, okay, we're winning this. Like, I, I feel it. I yeah. feel that we're going to win this did not predict that we'd moon it the way that we did um, with Reese Nelson coming on. He ca- he comes on for Emil Smith-Rowe, who was a sub. Mm-hmm. So I was like, ooh, that's kind of harsh. Um, I get it, but also, ouch, um, for, for Smith-Rowe, who's really struggled this season with injury. But yeah. Reese Nelson, like, even before the goal, he was really, really good. I mean, just, like, he came on to be that, like, that guy to stretch the play mm-hmm. um and i mean he did it to perfected perfection i mean he assisted the second goal for ben white yep. um and then of course magic absolute magic at the death i mean corner comes in it's headed kind of not that great by by the bournemouth defender just trying to get a hit on it and and um he lets it kind of like run across him takes a touch bang it's <laughs> the only spot in the goal uh, that he could hit it into. Uh, and I at first I thought, like, surely it deflected or something. But, you know, every angle of every replay shows that that, that was all him. And Bournemouth, there were, like, one or two defenders who, like, half-heartedly tried to get in, in the middle of it. But um, just an amazing, amazing, amazing moment in this amazing season. Um, and as an Arsenal fan, like, I, I trying not to get too ahead of myself. You know, I know it's March and, like, the, the title is very much on but like just i'm just trying to enjoy these moments yeah um, and it can be hard to think about like what's gonna happen or like what about that those points we dropped in the past like it's really hard to live in the moment but i'm trying yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to do that um and yeah it was just amazing that's i i i can find it i and you know 
you can take this or leave this, but I think like when you look across Arsenal season and you can look well, and when you're looking at your team season in these moments where you're like just trying to enjoy, like not get too caught up in the in the title race yet and like still a lot of, of football to be played. But the fact that, you know, this was the twentieth win of the season, um and you've played twenty six, like that that obviously puts into perspective it's like man we have had some Same. some good days out um and uh we've enjoyed a lot more uh than than we've suffered um and uh i think for you know watching arsenal like over the last few years there's obviously been a lot of the latter <laughs> a lot more suffering and so the fact that the fact that they are top of the table and you know 20 wins on the board um with 12 games left to play is is uh yeah just a remarkable achievement so far and i mean the manner in which they do this too really really interesting one because like we've seen from these you know we talk about mentality and going down early there are a lot of teams that don't fashion this comeback um and you add into that an early injury to Leandro Trossard, which I'm not sure. I haven't seen like the reports about like the severity of that one or anything in terms of his like whether that's a longer term impact. Um, but to then play your way back into the game, like having suffered an injury like that um, and basically throwing the game plan out after 10 seconds because Philip Billing is, you know, scored from the kickoff that you was know billing, yes I, um, i'm sorry i get him and Solanke. like they kind of look similar <laughs> do, on the they pitch do. they do <laughs> on tv for sure and like i mean the only reason i knew it wasn't dominic Solanke is because i'm like low-key a big dominic Solanke fan for his five minutes he spent in liverpool red um and oh, absolutely uh, scammed bournemouth <laughs> yeah and we got like 20 mil for him he is a wonderful championship striker, though. That is, like... That's true. That's he true. he scored a lot of goals for them in the championship. He just... He can't do it in the Prem. I don't know why. Um, but that being said, like, mentality-wise, obviously, you know, Arsenal dominate the game. And this easily... This had the feel for a while of, like, is this going to be one of those games where, yeah, Arsenal had 31 shots, 81% possession and didn't get the points like and a bunch of people get to talk about like it's not possession it's you know the quality yeah. and all that stuff and it's like at the end of the day their their quality did show and more often than not this season they are finding ways to win which is the sort of thing and uh, you know this isn't like i'm just gonna say it like that is the sort of thing that champions do in when shit goes wrong against Bournemouth at home, like you still find a way to get the three points. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, I, I'm seeing a lot of people say, like a lot of non-Arsenal fans say like, oh yeah, I'm, I believe it now. Like they're going to win the title, which like, again, like yeah. still a ways to go. But like, I can see that. I can see why, because there's like this era of inevitability right now about Arsenal. Um, it's It's hard to like, internalize that as a fan mm -hmm. um but i can see like if i try to extract myself from the situation i could see how people would think that um because i mean even the villa goal Jorginho of all people 
he wasn't doing that for Chelsea, you know? No. <laughs> and I still count it as his goal, even though it came off the back of World Cup champion Emmy Martinez. Um, <laughs> Agent Martinez. <laughs> Agent Emery as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, just a fantastic game. Um, and yeah, we did it our way, too. That's what I like about it. It wasn't, I mean, because you do need luck, right, to win a title. For sure. But I don't think this was that. I think it was like playing our way mm-hmm. all the way through. Um, and that ultimately won us the game and got us all three points. Well, very different fortunes uh, at the weekend for Arsenal and Manchester United, but they are both playing this Thursday. United have Betis in the Europa League, Arsenal, Sporting, Club de Portugal. Yeah, that'll be really interesting. Uh, reunion with a uh, certain Hector Bellerin, who is now at Sporting, and then Manchester United taking on Real Betis, who just blanked Real Madrid. So stay woke. <laughs> <laughs> Anything could happen. That would be crazy if United beat Barcelona only to go out to Betis. That would be hilarious. That would be funny. I'm not going to lie. Uh, <laughs> uh, looking around the rest of the league uh, as things played out uh, Man City beat Newcastle so they keep pace with Arsenal Newcastle however you know drop points in that race for Champions League Chelsea get a win against Leeds which has way more implications for the relegation fight than for Chelsea's uh, like European hopes but um, Graham Potter a win that basically I I mean I tweeted during the game when it was still nil nil of like hey what happens if they don't win because like <laughs> that I could have seen some serious consequences of like if you don't get a win against Leeds like what are we gonna do um and luckily for Graham Potter he gets he gets the win um Made, but, make it so hard though Chelsea do yeah god I don't, <laughs> I don't like watching them it, it's not yeah not one for the neutrals like you know <laughs> it's like you know people say always watch insert team here it's basically the opposite never watch Chelsea like truly <laughs> truly like don't don't bang on it um Aston Villa got a win against against Crystal Palace 1-0 um and uh yeah, another that was like a shocking game as well. Crystal Palace are just so goal shy right now. Um they had the ball in the back of the net through uh Ebre Eze, Eze, um but it was ruled out for offside and then Villa scored almost immediately from the like Gosh. after it was scored. So yeah, rough one for them. Brighton put an absolute beat down on West Ham 4-0. Um which that's become less of a surprise. West Ham hovering just above the relegation zone. Wolves get a big, big win against Spurs, which is not only big for Wolves just feeling more comfortable, like, in their position. And I think we're both feeling vindicated by the fact that, like, we never felt threatened by Wolves' position at the bottom of the table. And now, we're like... like, they'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, like, they have. Like, They've taken a couple of pretty big scalps here with Liverpool and Spurs in recent days. Um, but Adama Traore getting the win um, for Wolves at Molyneux. Um, So big, big result for them. Southampton also picked up an absolutely massive three points against Leicester, who 
are also hovering right above the relegation zone. Like, unexpected. I mean, from, from 12th down really is its own league. I mean, we talked yeah. about how Wolf, Wolverhampton are figuring it out. Palace are goal shy, but still hanging out. But that, that 12 all the way down is its own league of, like, who's going to be... Who's going to be in trouble? Yeah. yeah. Um, Forrest and Everton played a surprisingly entertaining 2-2 draw um, when that goal had nil-nil written all over it at the start, but an early <laughs> penalty to Everton kind of changed the shape of that one. Um, and uh, Brennan Johnson, the the Welshman, he yeah. could be part of a a new generation of, of Wales talent. Yeah. Um, and then just today, uh, in the last the last uh, match of the match day, Brentford got a late winner from Matthias Jensen to beat Fulham, which is a really big result for Brentford, simply because they, or well, I should say, I guess it wasn't a late winner because Vinicius's goal was at 99 minutes, so never mind. Um, but Matthias Jensen scored the third, which ensured that Brentford would would take all three points home uh, at home against Fulham. Big result because Fulham have been playing so well. Like, quick Mark reminder Solomon. that they are two points behind Newcastle. Yeah, Fulham have been excellent. I think Marcoso will probably will be in that that manager of the year conversation. And shout out to the Israeli Mono Solomon, who's kind of struggled with injury, but since coming back, he's been amazing yeah yeah and um brentford also you know i think we have a very wholesome like grouping from seven eight and nine in the premier league which is marco silva's fulham in seventh roberto de Zerbi's brighton in eighth and thomas frank's brentford in ninth um <laughs> which is like three teams that you just like enjoy seeing not battling relegation. Um, and in fact, like chasing European qualification. Sure. Yeah, exactly. And seeing them all above Chelsea, just because we know that that must anger, uh, a lot of people, um, two, two London rivals and, uh, <laughs> where you poach the manager from doing better than you. Yeah. Yeah. That's not, there's a lot to be mudded about at Chelsea at the moment. <laughs> um, so at the bottom of the league, like where this relegation fight is, like you said, it, it is extremely close from 12 on down and Bournemouth, Southampton and Everton currently occupying the spots in the drop zone. Leeds are only out of it on goal difference um, over Everton and West Ham, just a single point Leicester <laughs> only two points, Nottingham forest, just four points um, from the drop zone. So, I mean, it is like everybody is still fully at risk in that, in that bottom 12. Um, and a couple of results, uh, you know, Southampton looked like nailed on to be relegated, but pick up a big win. So there's, there's still, there's going to be a lot of movement. Um, and notably Southampton and Bournemouth both have games in hand uh, on Everton. So um, yeah. Yeah lot of work to be done um and the relegation fight will be will be a fascinating one um meanwhile arsenal stay top so um well i guess in the way of moving on um we can move to another another league in which the title race is the title race is certainly on and more maybe even more on than it is in england at the at this very moment 
Um, we got a question from at Donovan underscore head on Twitter. He said, no question. Well, he, I guess he doesn't have a question. I, he has a statement. No questions. Just here to say Dortmund are the best team in Europe right now. 10 out of 10. And we can start, I guess, in the Bundesliga. Dortmund 2, Leipzig 1. And for a day, Dortmund were top um, after taking down RB Leipzig. Um, and so for this claim that Dortmund are the best team in Europe right now, um, on form, tough tough to make the argument against them. Yeah, no, they've been absolutely excellent. I mean, what is that, nine consecutive Bundesliga wins for uh, Borussia Dortmund? And I think this one is especially impressive because, I mean, RB Leipzig, we know that they can threaten. There's that narrative of, you know, beating Marco Hosa, the former manager, <laughs> uh, didn't quite work out at the Westfalen Stadion. And actually, Dortmund had to start a backup keeper in this game in uh, Meyer uh, as Gregor Kobel's out with, with an issue. So, um to play as well as they did in this one um, and just keep the, the train rolling is, is really good. And, um, I mean, Julian Brandt, he's in great form in front of goal on top of being, like, probably the most elite creator in the league right now. Um, so that that always helps. I think what is going to come down to it for, for the title races, I mean, Dortmund just can't really afford any slip-ups because Bayern's goal difference is so ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and, and like I just said about, about Arsenal is, you know, any any title winner is going to need a bit of luck and maybe that luck could come in the form of Bayern being distracted by UEFA Champions League because they are the favorites in that competition too last time I checked. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Dortmund just have to keep it up. Brandt and Chan and players like that need to, to stay in form, stay healthy. Um and yeah, but no, I I don't I don't disagree with Donovan there. I mean they've been they've been excellent. Yeah, Dortmund um have not not only have they not lost since the beginning of 2023, they have won every single game they have played in all competitions since the start of the new year, like since the start of the Rook Runda in the Bundesliga. So their last loss in any competition came November 11th of last year against oh Borussia God. Mönchengladbach um 4-2 <laughs> so um and yeah then they they have the derby next yeah yeah they have the Revier derby which is immediately preceded by a trip tomorrow to Stamford Bridge in the second leg of their Champions League round of 16 uh tie against Chelsea so Huge. they have a 1-0 lead going into that game um, they have to feel good with how goal shy Chelsea's been. Yes, I. It just I wonder if experience comes into play here. Um, and I mean that in any way, like the inexperience of Graham Potter, but the experience of his players having sure. just won the Champions League not not two three years ago. Sure. Or you know Dortmund just putting that to the to the side and just playing the way that they always do, and Jude Bellingham being being him yeah you know going back to his home country and um you know maybe making a sales pitch on the pitch to top bully i don't know but oh god <laughs> yeah if bellingham be, goes to chelsea i will legitimately cry um that would be real tears will leave my ideal, face i think yeah um yeah <laughs> <laughs> this 
Everybody thought this was going to be us doing an hour of dunking on Manchester United, and it's turned into us doing an hour dunking on Chelsea. Um, so, <laughs> oops. I mean, I in in fairness, like I can really see it going either way. Yeah, because the the experience at this point really is helpful, and yeah. Chelsea having coming off a win after a really dismal run could be good for them um and and records are meant to be broken streaks are meant to be broken so mm-hmm. Dortmund really need to stay stay focused if uh I would feel better about Chelsea's chances if Aubameyang were available in the Champions League interesting <laughs> he's not even in the squad so yeah <laughs> no. one for narrative purposes two for I mean I still think he is a legitimately good goal scorer and they need that but for some reason he just isn't really getting in the team so yeah you know who knows weird, weird one. very weird yeah Revier Darby is the next league match uh on Saturday which that will be that will be tasty especially given the fact that Schalke just they aren't good but they certainly aren't going to allow you to score um that's just like what they're doing right now is Schalke just don't give up any goals. Um, they have they're allowed in in their last six since since getting absolutely pumped six one by RB Leipzig. They have allowed one league goal, and that 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 loss to Leipzig happened on January twenty fourth, and their only league goal that they've allowed was in a two one win against Stuttgart. So they have shut out every other team um, for. Uh, yeah, so now Dortmund, shutting out Dortmund will take some doing, um, but it is at the Veltons in Gelsenkirchen, so yeah, little bit of a little bit of a tough atmosphere, but trying to keep pace, or and I should say, trying to retain the title, Bayern Munich, in a not straightforward win on the road at Stuttgart did get the job done and uh and by virtue of their goal difference they did go back to the top of the league um level on points with Dortmund but this is um it was a little bit weird Matthias Delict uh scores like well a goal from outside the area um like this is not from a a corner or anything like that and despite like despite his signing initially being sort of memed and like people talking about Stoke and like PSG and how he just never played Chupa Moting just remains an important part of this Byron side. Am I lying or did he not sign a new contract? Or I believe he talk- did. I believe yeah, so. I mean, yeah. They big, big clubs have seen the vision. Um, Chupa Moting is a genuinely good player. Um, and sounds like it always seems like he's okay with whatever role as well, which I think is important, especially in these like star-studded sides that he's been a part of. Um, but yeah, two-one uh, win for Bayern. They just keep trugging along, but they have a certain Paris Saint-Germain in the Champions League this week, and that will be massive. Yeah, yeah. the The first leg was not a classic, so hopefully yeah. it's set up a very memorable second leg. I think we all deserve that. Um, (laughs) I think so too. Yes. (laughs) Um, I did want to give a shout to Union Berlin, um, who unfortunately 
have become a little bit goal shy themselves recently and they drew nil nil against Colm. Um, they are falling off the pace a little bit. I think like the, those distant dreams that neutrals had of an union union Berlin, like unlikely title push. Um, it's not dead, but it's definitely on life support. It's on life support, but, like, Europe is not. And this is yeah. Union Berlin. They're still in the European places in March. <laughs> and, and they're in the conference in league. right now. <laughs> yeah, like, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yes, they've fallen a- away a little bit. They've not scored, like you said. Um, but just... Uh, Last that's season. a fan base that has to just be enjoying whatever is happening yeah. right now because I mean it's amazing it's important to remember that last season was their first season in the Bundesliga ever ever yeah <laughs> and they qualified for Europe and now they they pushed the, you know they pushed the upper reaches of the table and are still like very good candidates to <laughs> qualify for the Champions League in their second top flight season ever yeah yeah amazing <laughs> amazing um yeah so the bundesliga is is a really still a very tight race um a lot a lot still to play for at the top um and i mean with that union five points off of the top two rb leipzig two just two points behind them freiburg uh still level on points now with leipzig and Eintracht Frankfurt just three points behind them. So the race amongst this top six for, you know, Champions League and and just remaining in Europe, uh, it is a really good one. And then down at the bottom, um, it's also tight, but it's really like a five-team race for <laughs> these three spots um, at the bottom of the league. Hertha just one point above Stuttgart in 15th. Stuttgart level on points with Hoffenheim but ahead on goal difference Hoffenheim in that last playoff uh relegation playoff spot and then Schalke and Bochum um bottom of the league at the moment but um yeah it's like a five-team mini league for for relegation and unfortunately for fans of teams in blue and white Hertha Hoffenheim Schalke and Bochum all in the bottom of the league and all rock the same color scheme <laughs> i don't know it's just like a funny it's all blue it's yeah. all blue and then stuttgart is like the lone the lone outlier um but so yeah we could see three blue teams uh relegated this season <laughs> which i don't we'll have to get the the uh the interns on the significance of that but um uh mika what do you say we talk about and this was this was maybe like as crazy as seven nil, uh, Liverpool United was. Another crazy result that happened this weekend happened in Spain, when Atletico Madrid just decided to drop bombs on Sevilla. Um, and yeah, this was <laughs> this this match was one one at one point, and unfortunately. A, a player who I have a big soft spot for, Yusuf Nasiri, uh, shushed the Atleti fans, and yeah. then they proceeded to concede five more goals. Yeah, I don't know what he was going at with that one. Um, and, and even Rakitic also missed a penalty, so it just <laughs> went 
wrong. Puppy Gay was also sent off. Yeah. Um, it was a disaster for Sevilla, and their season has been a disaster. Um, it's it's really bad. They are level on points with Almeria, who are mm-hmm. just in in the relegation place right below them. Uh, with Valencia not far behind, another huge club that could go down, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Atleti, they, it was a big night for Atletico Madrid. They're at the Civitas Metropolitano. There was a ceremony before the game to honor Diego Simeone for 613 games managed for Atletico de Madrid, breaking Luis Aragonés' record. Um, so huge night for them. And yeah. they won in the most un-Simeone-like fashion by like putting six <laughs> on a big, big club, a big rival in the league. Um uh, but yeah, no, it was. It, I thought the game was going to be like pure terrorism, so I didn't watch the first half until I realized it was a good game. Yeah. Watched the second half, very, very good game. Um, Antoine Griezmann is a joke. He's probably the most informed player in La Liga right now. It seems like Simeone has kind of taken a page out of Didier Deschamps' book with playing him as like this all action like creator. Yeah. Um, but he still has this like howitzer of a goal that flies in um, with his his lovely shooting technique. He scores a really good one, um, and and Memphis Depay as well. Like a pretty random signing, I think, or I thought. Uh, he was very very good. Had a couple of really good goals in this one as well, um, and then Morata came on and and cleaned up as well. So yeah, just a really really bad night for Sevilla and. Um, Again, like I said, this leaves them 17th. Meanwhile, Atleti are... I think if they are in the Champions League places at the end of the season, Diego Simeone probably stays. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, another one of those, like, just enjoy the moment because he, he is a legend for this club. Yeah. Um, and to to surpass Luis Aragonés is huge. Yeah, it's it's one of those where for all the, for all the memes... Um, he is truly a a I mean, there's really not a manager like him in terms of sticking with one club um for such an extended period of time and through a lot of different periods and and a lot of different like evolutions and all this stuff, you know, I think just like the the level that he's uh that he's reached with this team. And the fact that I mean that he was taking Atleti to you know, Champions League finals and, and like that is uh I think his achievements are almost like underplayed sometimes or downplayed. Um when mm. yeah he's uh he's reached heights with Atleti, you know, even amongst the super clubs that that occupy La Liga, like he's been able to compete. Um and yeah, so absolutely amazing achievement. Um and uh, a great result for Atleti that does see them hop into like more solidly into the Champions League places. Um, and uh, Sociedad like going through a little bit of a of a wobble recently. So um, Atleti pouncing and they're in they're in good form um, despite how they started the season. So um, they're crosstown rivals though. Uh, took on Real Betis and nil nil it ended it looked for a second like Madrid uh had grabbed a goal but um Benzema 
he had it in the back of the net, but it was chalked off, right? Like that was the yeah, it hit um, Rudiger mm, in the mm-hmm. wall. So right. it was it was a handball, yeah. And uh, yeah, so uh, Real Madrid unable to find a way um, past Betis, who, in fairness to them, had chances to win this game as well. Um, I think yeah. they absolutely will will take that nil nil, um, but. This game, um, a little bit of a stumble for Real Madrid, um, where maybe it did just with Barcelona getting the job done as well. It does put them nine points adrift in second place in terms of, you know, is the La Liga title race like over? And then what did we see in this in this Betis uh, match to to cling on to in terms of like what Real Madrid are are doing from here on out. Yeah, I mean, overall, first, I want to say that I, I complain about the lack of goals in La Liga a lot, but this was probably the best no-no I've seen in a while, so I just want to put that out there. It was very entertaining. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it, it's a bad result for Madrid. It really is. Um, they needed three points to keep the gap respectable. Um, and I don't, I never want to count out Real Madrid because I think that's a fool's errand for sure. Um, and with Barcelona going to, I think, Athletic Club next without Ronald Araujo, like, you never know. They could lose sure. that, and then all of a sudden the gap is is smaller again. So, um, But right now, um, as, as we talk, it's not good. Um, on the flip side, I think it's a great result for Betis, who are without their two best players in Sergio Canales and, and Nabil Fekir, um, both out due to injury. Nabil Fekir in particular, having done his ACL, which is awful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I don't rule Madrid out completely, but I'm not necessarily, uh, I don't necessarily have faith that they have this, uh, you know, that they can come back. But they might just go and win the Champions League. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Barcelona, you know, in in up in in uh, in Catalonia, they just keep rolling along with these like one no wins. Um, yeah, and they keep getting the job done. So uh, Madrid, not so much. They were just, I think ponderous a little bit in their their chance creation um didn't really seem like they had a whole lot of ideas i mean vinicius jr was threatening as always but um just the finishing in the the final ball wasn't necessarily there um and and betty's as well i mean what iglesias could have scored but Thibaut courtois got a real big paw to it and he was excellent uh to be fair um as was claudio bravo on the other other net so um yeah Madrid just have to go back to the drawing board. So Barca nine points clear. Um, Real Madrid, um, obviously, they're solidly second. There's no, there's no real threat there. I don't think. But Atleti and Real Sociedad round out the top four with Betis uh, chasing for a Champions League spot, and then Villarreal um, hot on their heels. Viacano still, still in the mix, um, for a potential European qualification as well. Um, and then down at the other end, like you said, Sevilla and Valencia, both at in real threat of going down. Um, Almeria's, uh, keeping Sevilla up just by virtue of two, a two goal goal difference difference. Oh my God. Horrible <laughs> sentence never speaking again um but um but yeah like you said Barcelona getting the job done against Valencia and Valencia 
it in particular just feel they just feel like a they just feel adrift. Um, like nothing, nothing they try is sticking. Um, well, they're also getting screwed. Yes. I mean, they're getting really bad calls against them. Yeah. Um, there should have been a handball or, uh, in or penalty against Barcelona. I mean, yeah, uh, it was yeah. They it was a really good win against it. I also see that, but to not follow that up with anything against Barca, I don't think we thought they would. But right. they are getting a lot of insane calls against them, and so yeah, I feel for Los Che in that regard. Well, moving over to Serie A, uh, we got a question from at HJ the third on Twitter said being the most distant league title race is the 33 year wait for a Serie A Serie A title pretty much over for Napoli are we ready to call even given all the ghosts of Napoli's past lost Scudetti Scudetti um <laughs> are we ready to call the title race in in Italy I mean they're 15 points clear <laughs> and it's like it would take a monumental collapse yeah to screw it up from here they did just lose to Lazio at That's home how it starts i'm um, just kidding just, <laughs> just Lazio and chill yeah um <laughs> yeah they just lost to Lazio at home courtesy of Matias Vicino excuse me i almost said Matias Vigna That's the Roma player um wonder strike to win the game and that does not tell you the story, though, because Napoli were as good as they pretty much always are. I think mm-hmm. the difference here was that um, Lazio did really well to manage Osimhen and the spaces that he was allowed to get into. Um, he had to play a lot of one-touch passes to less natural finishers, if you will, in the Napoli side. Um, and uh, Provedel as well in the Lazio goal was very good. Had that one double save on, on a corner, which I thought was a key moment and just told you that, okay, maybe this is Lazio's day. And they've been in a good stretch of form in the league. Three straight wins um, on the bounce. So, And they are well in the Champions League uh, conversation. Actually, one point ahead of Roma, who also had a really good uh, result this weekend, which we'll touch on. But yeah, Na- Napoli are still in a position where they can have these freak results and be okay. Um, and they're still in U- UEFA Champions League with a great chance to go through against Eintracht Frankfurt. So um, no need to panic for Partenope. Yeah, <laughs> it uh, it led to another like public feud between <laughs> Aurelio De Laurentiis and Maurizio Sarri because oh every single time that like obviously Sarri was at Napoli recently and it didn't go great, there is still bad blood like between the these guys and so. Uh, De Laurentiis like made comments basically about like we gave him everything over three years and he didn't win <laughs> he didn't win anything <laughs> they came very close <laughs> I mean it was when Juventus were in their like prime I think that's yeah no Juve were in their like pure like... Sorry's Napoli is like a streets won't forget type team like yeah. they just played some really nice stuff that was that midfield of Hamzik, Jorginho, and Alan. Like, yeah. that was that was fun. Absurd. The, the Smurfs as well. Insigne. Yeah. Um, Callejon and Mertens. Mertens, that was a yeah. Fun, that was a fun Napoli. Yeah. Well, this one is arguably even more fun, so. 
We could do <laughs> we could do an episode on like which recent Napoli front three was the most fun. Um because <laughs> right. I mean you have the like when Hamshik w- played further forward and it was Hamshik Cavani um Lavetsi. Is that yeah. is that the I think so. the trident? Because yeah. that was ridiculous. Like yeah. FIFA 13. If y'all, if y'all were and on Kai, FIFA 13, Kai to a certain extent too. In that oh, one. for sure. Yeah. What about, or sorry, yeah, Hamshik, Hamshik, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, was that, uh, that one hit different for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Lavetsi, <laughs> at Napoli was a that was a vibe. Um. So, uh, yeah, Napoli. I don't think I. I think we can comfortably say that they are going to win the league. Um, Inter our second it really is like it's Napoli and everybody else like that it's it's literally like they are in a league of their own quite literally um they're literally they're only playing against themselves each week um Mm. like (laughs) can we get across the finish line um because everybody else is is prone to inconsistency and not not just not really like getting the job done Lazio are on a good run um and could you know hop above Inter in coming days but another team in in pretty good form um and ending another team's run of good form was Jose Mourinho's Roma 1-0 over Juventus um this is well one this was like pure villainy from Jose Mourinho Although he is like the protagonist, um, now <laughs> that he's with a club that's likable in Roma, I mean, forty percent of the ball, which is fine against Juve, but six shots, uh, only two on target, and Gianluca Mancini gets the winner um, for Roma, um, and this game became notable mainly because of an event that happened right at the end, which is Moise Kane comes on for a 40 second cameo, uh, in which he gets immediately sent off for violent conduct. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's the Gianluca Mancini story, uh, this game, because it's a great strike from the defender for the only goal. Um, but yeah, he is one of the biggest like agent provocateurs in, in Serie A. <laughs> um, and I don't know what he did or what he said, but Moiskin just absolutely walloped him in the calf and <laughs> he was out after 40 seconds. Um, yeah. I don't know if he just, I mean, clearly he lost his head, but it's also like, did you, were you promised the night off and then you were called in <laughs> and you're just like, nah, I'm not doing this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but all jokes aside, like it is, it's it's shocking behavior, yeah. obviously from Moise Ken. Um, and uh, his his career has been a weird one. I think there was a time where we thought like maybe he was announcing himself a little bit at PSG, and then mm-hmm. that kind of did not flourish into anything. And yeah. he's, he's still young, but um, when that this is the only reason that he's making headlines, it's a little disappointing. But um. Take nothing away from Roma. They are just as stingy as Juve in defense. And at mm-hmm. home, it was always going to be a tough ask. Um, I think it was really important that Rui Patricio had a good game because that's not always been the case this season for yeah. Roma. Um, 
And and on the Juventus side of things, I just don't see who can come up with magic every week other than Unhealthy Media and um he needs support, he needs help, and I just don't see that like consistently anyway. Uh I mean Juventus are I think for the troubles that they've had this season off the pitch, like it's still a respectable position, I suppose. Sure. But it's certainly not where they wanna be. Um and uh yeah, they were yeah. beaten fair and square and they I think they another thing too is I think that they started to become urgent too late. Uh, and you can't do that when you're playing against these these high level tactically adept sides like AS Roma, like a Jose Mourinho AS Roma. Yeah. So Um it's it is nice to see Genie Wijnaldum. I said his name earlier in the episode, but it is nice mm-hmm. to see him back on the field after that that really long term injury um that he suffered right after like arriving in Rome basically. Um so nice to see him back on the uh, back on the field um but yeah i guess like the race for the other three champions league spots is really like what <laughs> what is going on and it's like inter lazio roma milan and then atalanta who have been like really poor over the last like three games um, it looked like they were turning the corner maybe a little bit um, a few games ago, and it just hasn't come together. Um, unfortunately for Napoli's next opponent. So yeah, yeah, no, that is interesting. Um, and Roma moving into pole position just by goal difference over Milan for that last Champions League spot, but um, important that they've gotten there, and and will it'll be interesting to see how. Mourinho tries to see things out um but both capital line clubs uh like in the mix for Champions League so um yeah some big derbies on the horizon <laughs> indeed yeah in Italy um Italy also have like a shocking relegation zone Cremonese and Sampdoria 12 points apiece it's absolutely insane <laughs> like um so moving on quickly to France and we really just wanted to highlight one thing here and that is we haven't had a chance really to talk about uh Stade de Reims uh and their Belgian English manager who is 30 years old Will Still Will Still he is but yeah 30 years old I'm a few months older than him which absolutely <laughs> just shattered my worldview um, but he's got Stade de Reims in eighth place, and they are doing really well. Um, sixteen games undefeated to start his league on career. The only other person who's done that, Thomas Sucho wow. at Paris Saint Germain. So, wow. um, he's cooking. He's absolutely cooking. I just yeah. wanted to give it a shout out because we don't often talk league on on this podcast because. PSG are running away with it more often than not, but I just yeah. thought that that was really interesting. And it's, you know, in in England where people like to sack managers left and right, like I could see him being called home. He is a Belgian, grew up in Belgium, but two English parents. Yeah, and he speaks fluent English. Um, and I was put onto this by a clip of him giving it the big into Fuller and Balagoon about how bad his French is. Um, so, um, but no, as an Arsenal fan, I appreciate what he's done with, with Balagoon, who yeah. might actually 
be a USA striker one day. We'll see. Yeah. But yeah, I just quick shout out to Will Still. He's a manager that I think people need to keep an eye on. Started his uh, coaching career at QPR as well. Um, interestingly enough, and I believe I believe one of his brothers is the coach at UPenn in Belgium. So, oh wow! Yeah, so just a Runs very talented footballing family. Yeah, I uh, no, I mean he does have them playing extremely well. They're in great form, and uh, yeah, they get a win at the weekend, a 95th minute winner from uh, Jean Cajus, uh against Ajaxio. Um, but, um, yeah, they, they're on a good run, three wins out of five, um, and, and no losses in that time as well. Um, and they're, they're climbing, um, like the, the form that they've been in, they are hot on the heels of the likes of Nice and, and Lille and Saurene, who like, I think people were tipping as like, Hey, these guys are like pretty serious this year. And, um yeah now Stade de Reims on their on their heels um and in the way of like catching up with Liga and stuff in general um I'm happy to report a team that my article has bounced around the internet a lot of, on RC Strasbourg they climbed out of the relegation zone for the first time in a while um with their Love results it. recently so they've uh they've climbed Todd Bowley stay away yeah <laughs> <laughs> we don't need you here. Don't annex Alsace Lorraine. Um, <laughs> anyways, that's that's probably in poor taste, but um, yeah, it, it league is still it, it's one of the, it's it is truly like a fun league. It just sucks that PSG have like ruined it most years by just making it non competitive at the top. Um, but Marseille playing well, like in second, Monaco up there. Lens have been a great story this season as well. Um, so there's Lens in Europe. Yeah, could be lit. Yeah, I'm I'm here for that absolutely. Um, so, uh, well, Mika, we've talked a lot of of footy so far, but do you have we we have one last question to close things out. Um, from our friend Christian Canales at fly13091 on Twitter. Who is the most underrated player of our lifetimes? So, of 30-year-olds. <laughs> okay. <laughs> of the last 30 years, I guess. Like, or or so. Like, who is the most underrated player? Oh, am I going first? I mean... Um, okay. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I guess I'll answer instinctively, and I know that there's probably multiple shouts that I'm not thinking of, but I sure. mean, it's hard to. We were in, we were just in a World Cup year, uh, and I think we saw two of the most underrated players face off in Olivier Giroud and Angel Di Maria. Yes, both of them yeah. have been just outstanding. I mean, Giroud. Let's start with him. I think one of the most underrated strikers of his generation. Crucial for France in that World Cup victory. Um, he also won a FIFA Puskas Award. Like, he has won titles with Montpellier, with Chelsea. Um, he's he's just a really, really good player. And he's France's all-time top scorer. 
Yeah. Um, if I'm not mistaken, passing uh, a certain Thierry Henry. So he's he's amazing. He won Serie A as well uh, with AC Milan, and I I just think that like he's so selfless as a striker. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's so team first that a lot of people don't really focus on him. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of people don't really understand him actually, and, yeah. and what it is that he does. Um, so I mean the the I think the achievement should speak for itself. Um, he's been yeah. he's had just a, a phenomenal phenomenal season, and he kind of was a late bloomer. I mean, I don't think he really started playing professionally until sort of late for for a uh, footballer. I mean, he signed a senior. Uh, a senior deal with his hometown club Grenoble when he was 21. I mean, that's like kind of yeah, late you know, in the when game. You see like yeah, a little bit. Like it sounds ridiculous, but it is a little bit. So, um, yeah, I think he's I think he's an iconic striker actually, and um, yeah, Giroud for sure, and then on Hilde Maria probably a close second. I think he's getting a little bit more respect because of recency bias in the World Cup, but uh, I think he's also a shout as well. Um. Yeah. I uh, no. I think both of those are, both of those are good shouts. I uh, I'm gonna go. I think the most underrated of my lifetime. I'd say, I'd say Thomas Muller is maybe in that conversation. Um, okay. Just in terms of, he's been like a mainstay for Bayern for what year is it? 23? For like 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, One club, man. Won tons of titles. Like, yeah, been at one club. And just for all of the attacking changes that go on at Bayern, like through the years and like all these, you know, evolutions that they go through and thinking like, uh, he's probably finished like they they probably moved past the need for Thomas Muller type thing. It's like he's still very <laughs> central to what they do. Um and I mean, I think he gets two assists in their recent game against Union. Like he's just a very I don't know, he's just one of those guys that like quietly has done everything you can possibly do in football. Um and you know, he's a World Cup golden boot winner. He's a World Cup winner. Um He's a, you know, off the he's, charts number of Bundesliga titles and a European champion. He's um, the most decorated German footballer ever. I'm yeah. Pretty sure. And like the like highest assist maker in the Bundesliga? Ever? Uh, Yeah, probably. Right? Probably. I mean, it. that makes sense. I, I feel like he just, because he doesn't like strike, especially in a, in a period of football where like, we have these like hyper athletes that you know are just like physically like off the charts you have a guy who looks like sort of gawky out there like he's always looked like a little bit awkward but he's just an unbelievable player um and i think he has adapted so well like throughout these changes i think germany i think germany's performance in the last couple of world cups have have played into this in terms of like you know after the world cup win it was like well he doesn't he doesn't you know he hasn't made as much of an impact like at an international level 
But the fact that he's hung around and remained an important part of Bayern Munich, like as they have won European and, you know, domestic titles, um, just suggests that he, he to me is a, you know, he's never really mentioned in terms of like the greats. Um, but he is just like, yeah, he's one of the best players to ever play. And he's not really in that conversation. Yeah. I think because he's another one that's kind of like a little bit misunderstood. Like people don't really know. Yeah. What is the term they always use? Ramdoita? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the so. space hunter or whatever. <laughs> space interpreter. Interpreter. That's the one. Yeah. 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 The space interpreter. Yeah. He's, he's, he's definitely up there. I think. For yeah. Sure. It's funny because there, there is, a, you know, there is definitely a time, the timing component of this conversation where, there was once upon a time a, where I would have said it was Roberto Firmino and mm. he became so underrated that he became appropriately rated or people said he was over or underrated so much that he became appropriately rated mm. <laughs> because people called attention to it for so long that it was like, okay, well now we actually say he's underrated too much. Um, because right. now we talk about it so much that he actually, I think people now do understand, like, what he does. Um, but there was once upon a time where I absolutely would have 100% said Roberto Firmino. But I think I think he, uh, his misunderstanding was in a very specific time and place. And once, once uh, you know, Mane and Salah were going, then people were like, oh, I get it. <laughs> I uh, I'll I'll give a bit of a maybe it's a hot take but he's one of my favorite players of all time even though he's very divisive but Gerard Piquet I think I think people look at Sergio Ramos and they're like ah oh, like goat mm-hmm. won everything right talisman Real Madrid captain Gerard Piquet is all of that for for FC Barcelona yeah and then some I mean like he's really part of the fabric of that club um yeah and you know integral for spain won a world cup won a euros mm-hmm. won everything with fc barcelona one didn't he win the champions league with manchester united i'm not making that up am i uh maybe so <laughs> probably um, i mean not that he was like a huge huge part of that that side but still um I think he is a little bit underrated, actually. Um, and you know, he was he was meme towards the end because he definitely lost a step. But I think in his prime, like very dependable uh, defender. Um, yeah. Good on the ball, um, commanding. You know, strong, good tackler, all those things. For um, sure. So, and and actually, like, would get up and score every now and then too. Like he, I'm telling you, he did a lot of the things that Ramos could do. Um, but just a little bit more, I guess, divisive. So more outspoken with his politics and things like that. So yeah, he uh, he actually won back to back Champions Leagues because he won the Champions League with United in 07-08 and then won it in, with Barcelona in oh eight oh nine. There you go. So I didn't make that up, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's he. I I've always got time. For Jared PK, yeah. and I I talk to you all the time about how like PK Mascherano is like one of my favorite center back partnerships ever. I just yeah. loved watching it, but yeah, he's he's one I think for me. 
No, that's a that's a good shout as well. Well, Mika, I think we've uh, we've somehow successfully rounded up a lot of what happened this weekend. But um, but yeah, for for those of you who uh, have uh, made it this far, thanks for listening. Um, we. Um, yeah, we're available on all the big podcast platforms. And like I said, at the top of the show, we're on, uh, Twitter and Instagram at HXC football. Um, Mika, we got, uh, anything else we need to shout out or. No, I think that's it. We've, we've covered a lot. Thank you to everyone for the questions. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks to everyone who's sending questions and, Again, if you want to uh, get questions in for the next episode, just hit us up at HXC Football uh, on social media, and we'll uh, we'll get it in there. But until next time, hope everyone has a uh, a good week. We've got some Champions League and Europa League football coming up uh, the next couple of days, so um, we'll still be eating good, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, until next time, hope everyone uh, has a good one, and we'll talk to you soon.